0: These are extraordinary days in the sheep industry. With drought having lost its grip on much of the country, the national flock is very much in rebuilding mode, but from a very low base. The forecast for wool and lamb remains strong, and this is fueling incredible prices for livestock. But how long can it continue? Well, that's the question. And in this episode of The Yarn, we search for the answer to it as we look at the national sheep flock of Australia, from west to east. G'day and welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Ellie Bigwood and I'm here in Western Australia where WA producers are reaping the benefits of the eastern states, who have a huge appetite for sheep. And soon, we'll head to the east and hear about this insatiable demand. But first, let's talk about the exodus of ewes from the west currently taking place. Right now, 40 B-doubles of ewes a day have been heading east, and it's estimated that by the end of 2020, 2 million WA-breeding ewes will have crossed the Nullarbor. The reason is simple. Water. Or lack of as Russell McKay of Elders knows all too well. Based in Katanning with his wife and three kids, Russell has been with Elders for 30 years in the heart of WA's sheep and wool industry and describes what the sheep population of WA currently looks like.
1: Well, I'd suspect somewhere around 6 to 7 million. I think we're down from a high of about 30 in 1990, thereabouts, Look, I'm not exact on those figures, but look, it's been a a big comeback in, in numbers, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, we're more likely looking at forty percent less farmers in WA as well. People yep. buy out farms, uh, changing programs, more cropping, mm-hmm. uh, changing the way we run sheep, which has been been good. Yeah, so it's it's a big a big comeback in breeding numbers.
0: The figure that's being thrown around is that by the end of the year it's estimated that two million head of the merino breeding ewe flock will have headed over east is that consistent with like your estimates
1: oh i think so i've never been selling six five and six year old breeding ewes out of the state normally they are going into the meatworks but just recently i must have sent four b doubles of maybe five b doubles of uh six year old ewes to South Australia for breeding. Wow. Just just incredible. I just and normally those sheep would be going through the meat weeks because yeah you know, they are a six year old ewe. Eu- I've I've never seen that before and I'd well I'd like to hopefully we'll see it again, but they're paying been paying us well above meat odds for those ewes on farm.
0: So what prices are we talking?
1: For old ewes? Especially yep. into South Australia, going into where all the rain has been, 140 dollars plus on farm. Wow! Uh, for a six-year-old ewe, Bear Sean, got to go, I go through and mouth them and check the udders, make sure that they're uh, good and healthy and strong because it's a pretty good trip. But yeah, anywhere from that um, 140 for a very old ewe upwards.
0: With the popularity over east, what's really driving that from WA? We know that water um, is a really big issue in many parts of Western Australia, but also the price is another one. Is that what you're seeing in your area too, or is there more factors involved that's really driving this market from the west?
1: Water. Water is the only factor. The prices, people keep saying the prices are so good. They're good. I'm not saying they're not. but now, they're selling top-end, top front-line yew and that over east for 320 350 Now, we've got a $30 freight bill, so they're still landing them over there cheaper than what they're buying them over there. So well, water is the main issue, especially through my areas, my eastern wheat belt country, right out, or well, Catanning, east, Niobank, Pingerup, all through my uh, brooding areas. Water is a huge issue, and I've already got people carting water now. And one of my very best merino flocks, which I've been classing for 30 odd years, I think he sold 8,000 ewes because he's got to cart water now. We're not even into summer yet. This has been the issue. It's not the money, because I think financially, West Australian farmers, in my opinion, are in a very solid position. It's just water is the issue mm-hmm. for the breeding ewes.
0: Looking at it from a Half glass full point of view, I suppose it's better that there is the market for them over east rather than them having to destock and sending them to abattoirs.
1: It would cause a glut in the market and we would be under severe financial pressure right now, I, I would have thought, because uh, the abattoirs would not be able to handle the amount of sheep which we've sent over east.
0: And so, with the reduction in flock sizes that you're seeing, a scary question. Are people just reducing their flocks until they're able to get more water, or do you think people are shifting out of sheep altogether?
1: No. Down here in, in the Great Southern, I haven't had any clients go out of sheep. All they are doing are reducing their numbers down to a base level or, as I said, a, a lot of these sheep which have gone over have been older-type ewes as well, which would normally be getting going through the meatworks anyway. And there's been a huge number of merino lambs uh, and crossbred store lambs go over east to the feeder market as well. Um, So that's going to cause our abattoirs some pretty serious grief by the time February, March comes along, I would have thought. Mm -hmm. But it's certainly not driven financially. It's driven by the water.
0: Do you feel that there's a demand for WA genetics over east?
1: They, they grow quickly, they've got good white wolves, they measure well, they cut well, they're not over complicated in skin. And that that reflects when we go when we take our show sheep or our top end rams to Bendigo and, and other shows throughout Australia, WA always come back with a more than their fair share of ribbons. So and we are great travellers. Our stud breeders travel all the way around Australia having a damn good time, mind you, (laughs) Um, (laughs) buying and selecting the best genetics they can. If you look at the high prices throughout Australia every year at ram sales, eight out of ten times, it's a West Australian paying the money.
0: Well, yeah, I suppose it's great for the East, who many are in a restocking phase, to have good genetics coming in, certainly a bonus. How have the sheep been traveling over East are they traveling well keeping up with all the transport?
1: well trucks are a real problem trying to trying to uh, get enough trucks to move these sheep. I was told the other day there's something like 40 B double for day going across the border. Wow so yeah. you know that's a lot of trucks mm-hmm. the live export game it's only just opened up we've had that ship stuck in Fremantle for an extra few weeks because of the virus. So, there has been a a bit of availability of trucks, but it's a big, big effort for these companies to put people on the road. These trucking companies are doing a tremendous job. They really are very committed to what they do.
0: Oh, we'd be lost without them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) We need
0: these people. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. The recent drop in the wool price, and have you seen any changes in flock structure as a result of this?
1: No. There was a lot of gloom and doom when the wool price did, did collapse. But we just got to remember every other market in the world collapsed as well. It wasn't only wool. And I really wonder, you know, you look at the money we're getting now, and I say this to lots of my clients, where would we be if wool was still at 16 or $18 a kilo and lamb was at $9 a kilo I don't think you'd buy a U and WA under $350. <laughs> you know, we've just got to remember that this whole situation we're in, and I've got no doubt wool would have come off the high like every other, no market stays up forever, but it wouldn't have come down like it did. Mm. And But gee whiz, you know, if these estates were having the great year they are and wool and land prices were still where they were, it, well, you wouldn't be able to buy shit. People would just say, I'm not selling because the industry is just too good. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get back to that um, because we are still, from all my information I've read and heard, in the both the sheep and the beef industry, we're still killing more females than we are breeding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So these people who want to be prime lamb, producer, they've got to get a mum from somewhere because they won't get a lamb without a mum. And I think they'd better get used to paying a lot more money than what they're paying now.
0: I like this outlook, Russell. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I nice. really like
1: it. Yeah. yeah. Now, you, you can buy, you can pay $250 by the time you get a new home. All right, We all know the cost structure for running any business, but now you can turn around and get four or five lambs out of her, four or five wool clips, and she's still worth $120 when you turn around to sell her to get a head cut off. Gee, well, yeah. Can somebody else tell me a, a better investment than that?
0: Well, yeah, that's to say it. It's 120 and the rest, you know. It's more yeah. than just that one off figure, no, isn't yeah. it? For sure. Yeah. yeah. Diving into that a little bit further, the future of the wool industry in WA, do you have confidence in the next generation to take the wool industry forward?
1: Oh, yeah, no. No, no problems. We hear all the time there's no young people in the bush and all that. But, gee, Ellie, you'd know that's a bit different being at home now. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more we round young people around than what we think. And, and it, look, our farmers are the best in the world. Our agriculture is the best in the world. And if there's good money in whatever business you're doing, people will do it. And uh, you know, livestock, great business. And if that's how you make your money and that's how you want to make your money, you'll do very, very well out of it. So I think it's a great future. People want to eat, eat Eat well. Wool is the best fibre. So, no, plenty of of confidence and plenty of good people around who love the industry and love doing what they're doing. The sheep industry is such an important industry to Australia.
0: Well, yeah, the old saying, merinos build communities.
1: Yeah, that's dead right. And um, it's a big employer. It's a great wealth generator. And, and, you know, the sheep industry... Whether you're in meat or in wool or in both, it's a great combination industry, uh, great future.
0: Russell, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thanks so much for your time today and thanks for having a yarn with us.
1: No worries at all, love it. Good on you, Ellie.
0: Russell McKay of Elders in Katanning, at the heart of the Great Southern here in Western Australia. But now, we'll jump aboard one of those B-doubles and head east. Over to you, Marius, in Victoria.
2: Thanks, Ellie. And there's no doubt about you, West Australians, talking yourselves up. But on this side of the Nullarbor, feed and, thankfully, water are plentiful in most wool-growing regions. But are sheep a good investment? And are these prices the new normal for now? Sandy McEachran from Aggregate Consulting.
3: Sheep prices and really restock of sheep prices have taken a big list. Um, probably, you know, no one could have probably predicted where they'd get to, but the fact that they would be expensive coming out of such a long and protracted drought probably wasn't such a surprise. Um, so I guess it's just, you know, uh, should this, is this a new level and should we just get used to it? I sort of believe, you know, we are, that's probably what we're facing at the moment is, getting used to a new level of prices for livestock. And given
4: the state of the national flock and the fact that we hear that there are a lot of sheep coming over from Western Australia, uh, what sort of things are you saying to to your clients around options at the moment, given that uh, a lot of people have feed and uh, um, probably could stock up?
3: Yeah. I I mean, there's more feed on the eastern seaboard than we're going to eat. There's no doubt about that. you know, no one could probably get enough stock to eat what's in front of them. So it's more a strategic view for clients and thinking through to where they need to be, you know, more strategically long term and recovering those numbers. Not many farms came out of that drought, uh, fully stocked, ready to go. And so, you know, um, the, the key is rebuilding, um, and, and, you know, all the, all the numbers say you rebuild as quickly as possible still, cash flow allowing um, and you know, risk allowing. But it's great that we've got a lot of food because that allows everyone to feel comfortable with any increase in numbers they can find. Um, but obviously the downside is you know, for everyone that does have um, sheep to buy, they're going to be
4: expensive. So, Sandy, you know, for someone who has been benchmarking for many, many years, what do you have to say for those that are looking at potential crop versus livestock and um, weighing up whether to roll the dice and put in more crop or um,
3: buy stock? Well, the big the big issue on that front is cost of getting in business. You know, if you're going to put in a hectare of livestock, and even if it's 10 DSE to the hectare, we're starting to approach, you know, $2,000 a hectare of livestock capital that you've got to invest in restocking. Uh, not to mention if there's any pasture work in that as well. So livestock is a far more expensive way to go, and if you're cash-strapped, I can understand why people are leaning towards you know, putting in more crop in the interim, um, and that does make a bit of sense. So And that's what will favour cropping in the short term, is just you know total capital requirement to get the crop in is so much less than it is to sell a hectare of livestock.
4: So it seems to be uh, that old story with farming: that uh, asset rich and cash flow poor. But uh, you've, you've got to invest, I <laughs> suppose, to to get that cash flow moving.
3: Yeah, look, that's right. <laughs> the main issue with cash flow poor is we can always spend a lot of money on farm improving farms. And, you know, there's always more to do in that regard. So, but I I think we're you know I think with sheep prices where they are, wool prices where they were, and hopefully where they'll go back to, um, you know, it's we're in pretty good times now, and I think we'd look, we'll look back at this little period of time, you know, as time goes on. And so, just remember those years, how good it was. Um, so, despite poor seasons, most people you know, managed. you were in the extreme end of the poor seasons. Most people managed to scrape through with that pretty well, uh, and are ready to go. And the returns have been proceeding up dry have been really good, and you know, expectations that the returns coming out of it are going to be really good as well. And hence, I think some of that confidence in the the prices that are being paid for livestock.
4: It seems as though, um, look, I I haven't lived through as many droughts as you have, Sandy, but it seems like uh, we've learned a lot through this uh, current, uh, sorry, the the drought we've just been through, a, a brutal drought in many ways. But um, people have held on to their stock, they've fed their stock well, they've, they've uh, generally come out of um, drought with stock in good condition, even if uh, the bank balance hasn't been. Um, do you think people have learned a lot through this drought?
3: Well, I think we learned a lot through the droughts in the 2000s and we implement, implemented very well through this drought. What I, you know, I, think that, I think people were prepared better in this drought having lived through, you know, 02 through to 07 or 08 in the regions we deal in. And so um, the expertise around drought management, uh, the infrastructure around drought management, you know, it's all a notch up on where we were a decade, or 15 years ago. And I think that just made it easier for producers to to do. They had more, you know, living examples of people who had done it before them in front of them. Um, So, yeah, look, I agree. I think it's been very well handled uh, by and large, um, particularly in the sheep sector. Um, and, and I, but I think it was the lessons we learned out of the 2000s, not so much you know, new, new things we learned this time. And I think it was just a very good implementation generally speaking.
4: So now looking at uh, these optimistic days ahead, Sandy, we're looking at first cross use uh, approaching $500 in some cases, which just is absolutely amazing. And you can't get a young merino you under $300 anywhere in the nation at the moment. But um, from what you're saying, uh, given where wool is trying to get back to and the current land prices, um, uh, you're still seeing sheep as a, as a relatively good investment.
3: Oh, definitely a good investment. Um, I'm not sure about going right out to the extreme. You know, every market probably pushes a bit far. And You know, $500 for a crossbred ewe, I wouldn't like to pay that amount of money. Um, But, you know, we've got other options. We we can retain older ewes. We can get more ewes into the system at a younger age. You know, so it's not just about going and buying extremely expensive sheep as our only option. Um, But when buying sheep, I think, you know, buying young sheep seems to me a better to be better value than older sheep at the moment because at least you've got, you know, five years to amortise that cost of what it's going to cost you over. So, uh, look, I can understand why the prices are getting where they are. Um, I, you know, generally speaking, I don't think we've overshot too far yet. Um, but, you know, it, that's all premised on the fact that the commodity prices we've got, wool and lamb uh, and beef, if you're in the beef game, are going to stick around for a while. And, you know, I, I, I tend to think that, you know, I'm an optimist. I tend to think they will somewhere near these levels. So if you factor that in, then I think you can afford, you know, pretty good prices for young sheep particularly. So, Sandy,
4: just coming out of this drought, and for those of people that possibly don't have the cash reserves available to buy um, the stock that they want... Are you suggesting that uh, to look at other options in terms of retaining older stock for another year and holding on to weathers, um, perhaps putting in a bit more crop, looking at, other, looking at other options?
3: Yeah, well, look, any, any animal is better than no animal. So if you've got space to run more sheep, you've got to look at your options. Um, and definitely if I'm a sheep person, uh, and that's my core expertise, I'll definitely lean towards returning our stock numbers as quickly as possible over putting in more crop. You know, most of our data says that cropping for the people who do it well and cheaper for the people who do it well. And you know, core core expertise is important, and what you do, knowing what you do well is important. So definitely, um, where it's your core enterprise, uh, you've definitely got to favour getting back there as quickly as possible.
4: Yeah, it's interesting um, you say that because we, we've also noticed over the years, I suppose in the last 20 years, that that area that we used to call the sheep wheat zone has just become the wheat zone.
3: Yeah. And look, the main issue there is, is economies of scale and labour efficiencies that cropping can generate and that's a nut that we haven't been able to crack in wool, merino sheep particularly, but also in prime land, it's been slow to crack it. Um, you know, if you're cropping, you buy the farm next door, just get a bit bigger gear and away you go. We don't have that luxury in sheep. And I think that hasn't been relative profitability. It's been the scalability of cropping over sheep that, you know, has favoured cropping. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm not sure cropping is more profitable. I just think it's more scalable. And that's something that the sheep industry needs to really get a head around.
4: Being able to run more sheep
3: per labour unit? Yeah, that's right. we inclusive of shearing and tructing, we've been stuck on seven and a half thousand D S E per labour unit in merinos for twenty years. Whereas cropping uh, beef, you know, their labour efficiencies have improved dramatically over the same period of time. So that's that's a constraint. In terms of a fight for land area, that's a constraint that the sheep industry's got in front of it.
4: Yes, yeah, so well that sounds like a, a another topic altogether, Sandy. We're opening up a big door there, but well, Sandy, um, thank you very much for your time on the yarn today. Indeed, there are wonderful days ahead, and um, let's hope that they uh, hope they continue. Yeah, for sure. I think we're in great times. Thanks again for joining us, Sandy. No problem most.
2: Sandy McEachran from Aggregate Consulting there and we have indeed travelled from the west to the east in this episode of The Yarn. A very rosy but hopefully also realistic outlook at the current state of the sheep and wool industries here in Australia. Do you have any ideas for what you'd like us to cover on The Yarn? Well why not drop us a line? Email us at, the yarn at wool.com. We'd also love for you to review us on your podcast platform at helps other people to find us but for now from ellie bigwood over there in the mighty west and myself marius coming thanks for your company and we'll catch you again soon